Hi, and welcome to the Eat, Move, Live 52 podcast. We have a super, super special surprise for you. We have guests Mike T. Nelson and Jody Fabulous Nelson <laughs> here with us. Welcome. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. We are so glad to have you. I'm going to read a little bit about you because it's such an impressive bio and I love how fun it is. So listen to this. Dr. Mike T. Nelson and Jody Fabulous Nelson are a perfect example of opposites attract. Dr. Mike T. Nelson, PhD, MSME, CSCS, CISSN, is a research fanatic who specializes in metabolic flexibility and heart rate variability, as well as an online trainer, adjunct professor, faculty member at the Carrick Institute, presenter, creator of the Flex Diet Cert, kiteboarder, and somewhat incongruously, a heavy metal enthusiast. The techniques he's developed and the results Mike gets for his clients have been featured in international magazines, in scientific publications, and on websites across the globe. In his free time, he enjoys spending time with his wife, lifting odd objects, reading research, and kiteboarding as much as possible. Jody Nelson has a bachelor's degree in both secondary English education and communication. And since she loves words so much, she went back to school to get a master's in communication. A published author, lover of dance and theater, Jody experiences everything as a Broadway musical. The Mr. Mole book project, which they're here to talk about, was a culmination of combined Mike and Jody's superpowers. Brash, unfiltered creativity, Mary's sciency research. Welcome. Wow, we got to meet these people. They sound pretty cool. <laughs> they are pretty cool. And how we met these cool people was many, many years ago in the days of yore. We met at a fitness event. And um, since Roland and I are a good example of opposites attract, we were immediately attracted to the two of you. Yeah, I was at the fitness summit. Yeah. Uh, six or seven years ago now, I think, something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's been great. It's been quite the adventure. Learning from you, learning alongside of you. Yeah. Sometimes yeah, presenting fun. right after you, which is a hard act to follow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, we talked a few months ago about, and uh, Jody, I talked to Jody about your amazing, this amazing book idea. And we couldn't be more excited because we have a, it's a, it's sort of, sort of crosses the passions that we have. Our passion to get um, health and wellness information out to people, but also to reach them early. And one of the best ways to do that is to get good information that's fun, that kids will enjoy and that parents will enjoy sharing with their kids. And this is like the epitome of Mr. Mole. I don't know if Mr. Mole knows it. Yeah. I don't know if Mr. Mole knows about that, but uh, for us, watching you develop this and now having it in our hands has been so exciting um, because it's one thing to have an idea, but to carry it out in a way that is so impactful is a huge success. So we're very happy for you. We're excited to have you on the show, and we want you to tell our listeners everything about your new project so they have at least one copy of Mr. Mole in their house. Awesome. I'll do the short version and Jody can fill in the rest, but it's uh, 
basically a kid's book for adults is how I describe it in one sentence. So we wanted something that adults would kind of get information from, but how do you get information to adults and also their kids? He thought, well, if we write a children's book that adults will actually read to their kids in like one sitting, then we like kind of secretly stuff some science and practical stuff into a very simple story. Uh, hopefully the kids will get something out of it and hopefully the adults will get something out of it at the same time. It's probably easier to get an adult to read to their kids than it is to tell the adult just go to bed earlier. <laughs> <laughs> you kind of get a two for one. Yes, exactly. So Jody, but, uh, will you tell us the long story, which is very interesting and romantic. <laughs> <laughs> and flowery and wordy like I always do. Totally. Uh, yeah, well, this actually came about, and the fun part on the inside cover of Mr. Mole book, it actually gives kind of the how Mr. Mole was born, the character of Mr. Mole. And basically, it, it actually st started as a funny story between Mike and I because I don't see well in the dark, and so I'm flipping on lights as it's getting darker, and he's wanting to turn them off. And one, one evening as I'm flipping the lights on, and he comes down the stairs and he has his eyes and since you can't see me I'll, I'll describe it he has his eyes like almost squinched shut and his nose like curled up just a little bit and i'm like well hey mr mole how's it going and it just became like a funny saying um mr mole time or i need to i need to go be mr mole for a while so <laughs> so he became mr mole and that's how the whole idea started about light and dark and getting ready for bed and then that's when the little um, idea of, wouldn't it be funny to write a children's book about this, about going to bed? And then wouldn't it be funny to write a children's book that pe that adults would read to their kids? So that's kind of how this whole story came about. That's wonderful. Mm -hmm. As I was reading it, um, I, I almost wanted to sing it. So I don't know. <laughs> I'm never going to do that publicly because I don't want your content sung in that way. But it has it has a very musical quality to it, um, and it it just rolls off the tongue. And the rhymey parts are just wonderful. And then the sciencey parts are like, oh, this is serious. <laughs> this is like this is like there's like long words about the brain in there that you know a kid can win a spelling bee if they know how to spell that word. Yes. And it's it's serious. Sleep is serious business. But you make it fun and you make it musical and the illustrations if you give us permission to share one or two of them in the blog post oh, yeah. attached to the podcast are they're just I, I the word that comes to me is they're hysterical yes they're just it, fun and i don't know if you noticed that we have um we have seven seven illustrators and two illustrators in training and the illustrators are actually my nieces and nephews because the other reason I wanted to write this book is I live so far away from all of them I wanted an interactive creative project that we could do together which has been really fun because they've taken it you know seriously like okay auntie joe what do you need for this book so that's been a whole other thing so you'll see many different styles represented in the illustration I saw I saw many different iterations of Mr. Mo, like different incarnations almost. Yes. Uh, how how old are they, the illustrators? Uh, when they started this project, it was uh, 
12 and the youngest one was three and now they're 14 and five is the youngest one that contributed the two that didn't contribute are three and one and a half so they're in training yes yeah well you can there's a sequel you can give them a pencil to contribute on top of the book right. yeah <laughs> <laughs> well that's amazing it, i i just loved it it was such a good you know it's almost like this first experience where you get in touch with something for the first time and it just leaves like an overall feel good feeling like it's it feels good and it's good for me which is a great combination of any product yeah, i got to hear it first as it was designed to be presented so she read not that i'm a child but i am very <laughs> and so she read the book to me oh and nice showed me the pictures so yes. it was never since the little prince have i been so touched <laughs> well, and just to say this publicly too, you were a great help in trying to figure out like what direction to take things since you you had been published. Yeah. I I was totally overwhelmed with the whole project and you gave me more than an hour of your time just to figure out, okay, how do I map this out? What do I need to do first? I don't even know. So that's why he got to he got this special first reading of Mr. Mole project. Oh, well, thank you. I'm glad I could help. It was wonderful. It is so cool. You know, it 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 gives me great joy that we we get to to do something together in the world. And for us, it's just such a privilege to be able to tell our listeners and readers about what you've done. So to to go back to the content of the book and sleep, um, we were talking a little bit before we opened about how. You know, nobody really wants to be told that they need to sleep more unless it's going to be told by a mole in a rhyme. <laughs> <laughs> so on the more seriously science-y bit, um, we have had other guests talking about sleep on the show, but we've never had anyone to talk about children and adolescents and just the importance of sleep at different stages. And I feel like that's something that I personally haven't read enough about either. So I'd love to hear from both of you and from Dr. Mike about what's the what's the place of sleep and development, and then what are some patterns maybe that we see? Yeah, in terms of development, I would say we probably don't entirely know yet, and kind of makes me a little nervous, especially when you see how little kids or young adults sleep now compared to the past and all the different things they have in terms of stimulation from iPhones to just uh, how many more lights there are. Like when we were in Costa Rica for a while, we're like, oh, when it gets dark, like there's not as many lights down here. You go to any big city and it's like freaking daylight at midnight, mm -hmm. you know? So I don't know if we know exactly what the entire impact of that is, but the more we've researched pretty much anything across the board, we find that sleep is super important from prevention of possibly some uh, diseases like Parkinson's, things of that nature, to metabolic health. And now if you had someone who's developing on top of that, you could argue that they <clears throat> may be more at risk because the amount of tissue that's being created and turned over is a little bit higher. And the hard part with that too is that no IRB is going to really approve a study to have very hard evidence on it, right? We're not gonna take 12 year olds and be like, hey, you 12 year olds, you sleep eight hours a night. 
you group of 12 year olds, you sleep four. Hey, let's see what happens, right? <laughs> That's probably not going to happen. Yeah. So most of the data we have is just kind of an inference from uh, different developmental uh, stages from there. And one of the things I do wonder about is sleep in terms of memory processing and a process called neural pruning. So we know as kids develop, especially very young kids, they've got all these highways everywhere. They've got tons of neuronal connections. And then the next big stage is them actually pruning them. So instead of having this mass sort of system of highways, you get kind of more of the super highways, right? You're kind of taking out specific connections. And I wonder how much we'll figure out in the future, maybe sleep impairs that process. And again, I'm just completely speculating at this point, but maybe that increases the risk of things like ADHD or the ability to concentrate and other things like that. I don't know if we really know yet, but yeah, and kind of makes me nervous. <laughs> well, it's not development per se, but I'm sure you know more about the science of this, but when we, you know, we learn something during the day and then at night when we go through the different sleep cycles, Correct. Uh, we move that sort of to long-term storage. So it's from like, right. Uh, from RAM to ROM or from like our, you know, like, you know, from off to the cloud so we can, yep. <laughs> so we can mm -hmm. access it later. And so if we skimp on those sessions, like what are we doing to our long-term memory and our ability to learn important things uh, quickly and efficiently? Yeah, we already know from some studies, at least in adults, that that definitely happens, right? So there's some very cool studies showing that uh, good night's sleep um, helps that process a ton, right? So it goes through the hippocampus and something called LTP or long-term potentiation. And we know that sleep is massively important for that, right? So the joke I make with students is that if you kind of cram for an all-nighter, yeah, you may do okay on that exam, but odds are you're probably not going to retain any of that information, mm -hmm. right? Because you're trying to cram in too much at the last minute and then you've compromised sleep. So exactly what you said, you've compromised that process of trying to transfer it to more of a, a long-term thing. I know for sure because I, I specialize in working with more of the nervous system processes and researchers yeah. and I have a whole bunch of young adults that are between like the ages of 18 and 23 right in that kind of rapid phase of pruning where mm -hmm. you know the brain is really becoming more integrated and their sleep cycles are all over the place and they come to me usually with you know some some dysregulation and some some issues and some behavioral stuff and sometimes they've tried meds and it hasn't worked so they're trying something with the body and no one sleeps well and they all have ADHD like symptoms and they yeah. can't they can't really do simple life tasks are very overwhelming and their parents are super frustrated because the parents want them out of the house and they're yeah. at that age <laughs> and they want to kick them out of the nest and they're incapable of doing basic things including like remembering when their sessions are with me they're oh yeah very simple things and they feel deep shame and failure for that because you're looking at a kid who has been programming computer games for since he was 15 and being fully employed by a computer gaming company who's incapable of remembering his session with me like there's a there's an actual disconnect there with real life and I feel like with how much stimulation they've had we really don't know it's like a black box we really don't know what we threw at them with technology and screen time and lights 
And the fact that parents at some point give up because parents are sleep deprived and tired too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So they probably can only fight kids for so long. Yeah. Yeah. And I wonder how much of that is a young age home for kids. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. How much of that is just simply association too, right? Because in essence, in more modern society, they get kind of a little bit more rewarded for having quote unquote, like ADHD type things from social media to phones to everything else right so if you look at you know the old saying is neurons that fire together wire together so the more you keep reinforcing those pathways even just you know not talking about sleep or any other developmental issues or anything else those pathways just become the super highways in the brain so you've kind of in essence by your behavior over time kind of wired the wrong thing in there per se mm-hmm Mm-hmm. I can totally see that. And there's some interesting studies that show like a week camping just away from city yeah. lights and, you know, artificial noise and, and electromagnetic frequencies and all of that. And we don't know if it's one of those things or all of them really helps reset that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that changing the environment is probably a huge leverage point. Um, so on a smaller scale, I'll have people even do like a float tank or something like that, where you're purposely removing as much stimulation as you can, just to get a level of comparison to your nervous system, right? So the joke I make is that we're here in Minnesota, I don't know, what is it, five below today or yeah. something outside? <laughs> so if you're outside and you walk in, and our house is not super warm, it's 64 degrees, you're like, wow, it's super warm in here. This is great. <laughs> but if you're sitting around all day and you're not used to it, you're like, oh my God, it's freezing cold in here, mm-hmm. right? You, if you're sitting around all day, you have no comparison, so it feels colder. But yet you go outside where it's really, really cold and you come in and there's that you know, differential of 70 plus degrees instantly. You're like, oh wow, this feels completely different, mm-hmm. right? So I think if you constantly have all the stimulation and everything's going on, your brain doesn't have anything else to compare it to. And over time, people tend to associate that as a very normative state. This is, this is normal, quote unquote, for me. So I think having something that's the direct opposite of that to get some level of comparison to increase their awareness is like super helpful. Yeah. So there's a great cartoon with like three roadside workers holding, each of them holding a sign. And the first sign says, stop. And the second sign says, smell the flowers. And the third sign says, okay, continue tearing through your life like a maniac. <laughs> <laughs> <That's true. laughs> and it's, it's just like that. And it, as you said, it becomes normative. Roland, do you want to ask you a question about our newsletter and why we get so many unsubscribers? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the question right there. Uh, thank you for uh, telling me. Um, yeah, so I'm in charge of, I, I send most of our our news emails out to our readers and clients and keep people updated. And when I share either something I've written or articles that somebody else has written or videos that talk about the importance of getting more sleep, my percentage of people who unsubscribe goes through the roof. Like, oh yeah. Like I probably get it's probably two to three times as many with anything else. Like, you know, so versus asking them to to buy something expensive, <laughs> eh, we'll just yeah, <laughs> more unsubscribe. And I can just imagine them thinking, I better unsubscribe because you might tell me again to sleep more. <laughs> yeah. Right. 
I don't want to hear that. So what's going on? Yeah, I've, I think at the highest level, and I'm sure you guys have run into this with clients too, is that if you tell someone to sleep longer, you're in essence telling them indirectly to change their entire value system. <laughs> and that gets into their identity. And that is not something that people change very fast. And a lot of times they feel very offended by that. Right. So you take the average, you know, typical client, you know, busy, you know, working all day, may have kids, come home, has got, you know, half hour commute to work and back or longer in traffic and they get home and, you know, trying to ask them to exercise on top of that. And they're like, put the kids to bed. Yeah, they have like an hour, maybe two to hang out with their spouse in the evening. And that means they maybe go to bed at 10 and get up at say five in the morning or go to bed at 11 and get up at five. And then you're telling them, Oh, you know, those two hours at the end of the day, just, ah, oh, you don't need that stuff. Just go to bed and get sleep. Like, screw you. That's like the only time, you know, we get together. So if they want to keep that at some point, something has to change, right? Either maybe they don't exercise or maybe they have to change a job to go somewhere else or work from home or it gets into a lot of things that, they would have to change or think about differently that are not easy decisions, right? It's easier to, well, screw it. I'm just going to sleep six hours and drink another cup of coffee tomorrow. I'll be fine. And the reality is you'll be fine for a couple of days, but as we all know, that has a cost associated with it. So I think telling people to sleep more very much gets into a, a, a value type decision very fast. And that usually doesn't go so well. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've found also with our clients that are in business or they're in the creative areas, the writers or artists, and they stay up late or they don't sleep yeah. out because they're trying to get a lot of work done. They are entrepreneurial types. When you ask them, when you tell them that you're going to be more productive tomorrow if you get more sleep tonight or if you go to bed earlier, I think a big part of them doesn't. I don't know whether they believe it or not, but they're not willing, even though they think it's probably likely and it probably makes sense, they're not willing to take that risk. When I ask somebody to change their diet by like, oh, go a week without eating a cheeseburger, all they've missed out on is not eating a cheeseburger seven to 14 times. But big deal. I can have, I can make that up in a week, in a, in a couple of days next week. But if you ask somebody to get more sleep and they've lost out on two hours for a week, two hours a night for a week, or two hours of productive awake time, it's like, wow, what are they thinking? Oh my God, the world might come to an end. I just didn't do 10 hours of work. Mm -hmm. And I rely, I need that work. Or, I, you know, that's the time when I write the best or they think they write the best. So there's such bigger consequences at least in their mind and especially if they don't believe that it's possible to do more work when you're more arrested uh, it's just not going to happen yeah go ahead jody oh i was just going to say it's like because uh the the for me when i was very very sleep deprived it feels like i'm walking through a swamp with huge boots on and it's taking a really long time when, when you're really, really sleep deprived, like even the thought of, oh my word, I have to take this dish to the, to the sink. I think I'm going to die. You know, and of course you're not, it, that's <laughs> not the reality. But when you're that sleep deprived, 
you feel like everything's way bigger and that is going to affect your work even more because the problems seem bigger. You know, you feel like you're slogging through your work instead of happily sprinting through your work is kind of the way it works as an analogy in my brain. Cause that's one of the first magic bullets in my life was sleep. Mm-hmm. As soon as I started getting more sleep, less worry, um, a lot of things just started falling more into place. So, um, and then I, I had a couple of thoughts while you, while you two were talking, we have this busy merit badge, just like a merit badge, badge system of, well, I could get by and only four hours of sleep a night and I'm just a cowboy and it's never going to affect me. And, you know, everything's great until you have a heart attack, my friend, you know, so there's this like merit badge for getting more done. Um, when I don't think the quality of your work is probably as good. And then the other, the other thought I had, when people get frustrated about being told to do something else, I get it because Mike was telling me to um, add some breathing exercises probably like three or four years ago. And he's like, you know, I'm like, I'm just stressed out. I need to do something different. He's like, well, why don't you breathe? And gave me the little recommendation. And I was like, oh, I can't even breathe right. Good grief. <laughs> And I actually said that out loud. I'm like, I can't even breathe right. There's like recommendations for everything. So you can understand the the frustration when people are trying to get a little bit of a little corner on their health where they can inch forward. It's understandable the exasperation that comes when you're kind of at the end of yourself anyway. Yeah, I, I totally I totally get that part. My clients are mad at me every day for asking them to do something simple. And, and they'll actually say it out loud and we'll be mad together, you know, because like, that's what we do for our clients. We scream at the same stuff together. That's, that's our job. And that's how we all move forward, screaming at the things that we're mad at. But we feel the same way. Like the same thing happens to us. Like it's, oh, a, yeah. it's a challenge for everybody. Last night, you said, oh, I, I was asked to stretch my jaw like this muscle, like every day, a couple times a day. Eight she, times a day. Like, like, I don't already have enough things going on. Right? And it's like, <laughs> okay, you know, but it's like, you got to let that out. And like every night, for, if I'm bringing it back to sleep, like every night. So I've been trying consciously to try to go to bed earlier. And every night we get done with dinner because we eat kind of late and get done with work. We eat kind of late and then it's time for dinner. And I'm like, oh my gosh, now my brain is now turned off. I just want to spend an hour doing nothing and like reading my book or just like zoning out and and like this is my time and then I think but that's gonna put me to bed like at 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock and I used to force I would just force myself and I would like fall asleep reading my book on the on the living room floor or something like that and then come up to bed and but the past maybe two to three weeks and I have to remind myself every night no it's like if I want to, if it's that important for me to do that, I can get up early. I can get up in the morning and I can go do that in the morning. And you know what? I, it's not that important. <laughs> like I've told my clients, I go, if binging Netflix is so important, how can you don't set your alarm clock to get up at six o'clock in the morning to do it before you go to work? And they're like, oh, well, I don't want to do it in the morning. It's because you're so tired. It's that your brain allows you to make a poor decision or the, the less good decision. We never watch TV before work at five in the morning. Yeah. Yeah. It's the decision fatigue, right? Mm -hmm. So like it's, you know. With Mm. so much to do, Mike and Jody, Mr. Mole seems like he has it all figured out. 
because in the book, when we <laughs> find our hero on the hero journey in the book, he is just gone through the separation phase and he <laughs> is experiencing a crisis and he's going into the dark woods where he finds science that helps him figure <laughs> things out. But on the hero journey, we find him like really like unhappy with his life because he's lost connection with his family and he feels poopy at work. <laughs> and so he wants more for himself. So in the dark woods, he meets science and he makes some decisions. So what would you say that your top Mr. Mole tips for good sleep are maybe from phase one or phase one and two? Yeah, if I had to pull just three out that I've used with clients a lot. I mean, the first one is uh, I tell people make your where you're going to sleep kind of like your own mole hole, right? It should be very dark. It should be very quiet. You know, I don't I've never seen a mole on a cell phone, but maybe it works. I don't know. But there's not a lot of electronics, right? And so that should be where you sleep. Um, so that'll help from uh, environmental type standpoint. The other one is kind of contraintuitive is to get daylight during the day. So for clients, I'll ask them and say, how much daylight do you get? Not behind a window, not behind sunglasses. Because they're like, oh, I get two hours a day. I'm like, what are you doing? Well, I drive to work an hour and I drive to work an hour home. I'm like, no, that doesn't, <laughs> doesn't really count. Um, so, and I got this from Dan Party. You know, try to get 20 minutes in outside no windows, no sunglasses, ideally before noon, right? So what are you doing? You're getting that uh, sunlight, those photons in the back of the eye, which is going to help reset your whole circadian rhythm. So you'll end up feeling more energized during the day and also more sleepy at night. If you look at people where that gets messed up, right? Anyone who's in a long trip or jet lag, right? You're just not feeling what you should be at the right time. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'd say that's the big one. And the number three would be actually go to bed <laughs> because if you, uh, look at the things you can control, I got this from Dan party again, too. You can control what time you go to bed. So for clients, I'll say, okay, write down what time you went to bed. Like, Oh, but what if I can't sleep? I'm like, well, that's kind of a secondary issue. If you're in bed for 10 hours, you're probably going to get more sleep. If you're in bed for say seven hours, right. And you, can't directly control what time you go to sleep all right so if i go to bed at 10 i can't tell my body 1002 boom i'm asleep it's like no you can set things up so you can try to get more sleep um, but focus on the things you can actually control which is going to bed earlier that's really a, a, a great tip and people fight it so much um oh yeah I think Dan was saying something like, you can't sleep 10 hours if you spend eight hours in bed. And I was like, yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's totally, <laughs> that is totally true. And, you know, people will be tired in the afternoon and because you can't really, it's not socially acceptable to be sleeping at work. I, I just heard yesterday, Finland made it obligatory to provide a place for naps in the afternoon. Oh, nice. Um, Very cool. In the great country of America, I don't see that happening. Maybe at Google it's happening, but I don't see it happening everywhere. And people just push through with caffeine and sweet. And so it sets them up for another cycle of poor sleep after that. Yeah, and that's the hard part. I've told people, they're like, well, what if I have a horrible night's sleep and the next day kind of sucks? I'm like, well, 
It might, but just suck it up and get through it as best you can. Because like you said, they end up in this, this cycle and I've been there where it's like, I have coffee in the morning and then at noon, oh, I'm tired at like three or four. So I'll have more coffee and then I get home, I'm exhausted. I go to relax. Oh, I can't fall asleep now. Right. So it's, you know, one in the morning and then the cycle repeats. Yeah. So if you can just kind of suck it up for one day, maybe have some coffee in the morning try to cut it off a little bit early, do some other stuff, you know, get movement, do other things that are not uh, long-term stimulating, and then just try to go to bed much earlier that night. Mm -hmm. So you're trying to, yeah, it's going to suck, but the worst part is that people just keep kind of perpetuating that cycle over and over and over. Mm -hmm. The last, um, since, since January 1st, I've been doing this experiment where it's building a habit of writing every day. So I get up nice. early and I go to Starbucks and get out of the house, have a dedicated environment for writing, whole process in place. But what I've noticed is I need to get up. I know that at night I'm getting up early in the morning. So I go to bed earlier. So that encourages me to go to bed earlier. So I haven't really gotten that much more sleep, but I've been going to bed earlier and getting up earlier. And after three weeks of that, I noticed that I I haven't had one day in the afternoon when I've felt like I needed a nap, where before, even with roughly the same amount of sleep, but shifting everything two hours later, right, I, mm -hmm. I, had, I needed an afternoon nap regularly. And I needed to get dressed in the dark in the morning because he was still sleeping, which I no longer <laughs> have to do. Yeah. So now I'm the one that has to be here. I get up before her, so I have to be a little quiet and get out of the house, but... Um, that's a whole, my ninja practice is like a whole other, uh, that's a whole other <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's doing, he's doing great. And for me, I enjoy going to bed at the same time now because he used to go to bed earlier. So now my sleep is not as disrupted because of him coming to bed. Because, you know, there's this kind of thing. Oh, yeah, we're not on camera, but like, it's like one side of the bed <laughs> kind of sinks and I kind of roll a little bit towards him. Um, and so like my body's more settled knowing that he's not coming any moment now. So now I wake up earlier mm -hmm. and it's really nice, like a nice domino effect of sleep <laughs> quality in our house that's affecting everyone, but the 22 year old daughter <laughs> who is impervious to our sleep schedule. <laughs> Oftentimes at 10 o'clock at night while I'm brushing my teeth, she's like, bye, I'm going out with friends. <laughs> <laughs> So talking about adolescents and young and young adults, yeah. what what is it with other than all the stimulation and and the um, you know the activities that they want to have late at night? There seems to be like a real thing about sleep cycles shifting. And one of the listener questions we got was, should we still kind of insist that kids at that age, the young adults, go to bed still on time while they're still in the house? Or is there some room there to allow if that's a natural hormonal change or a brain change? Yeah, like uh, Matthew Walker's book, Why We Sleep, awesome book. Um, he talks about, I believe, teenagers have their sleep schedule kind of naturally will be a little bit later. And I believe his argument was school should probably even start later just to try to accommodate some of that. So I, I would agree with that. The hard part is how much you allow them during, say, the school year versus not the school year. If they're off in the summer, eh, they don't have to get up early to work. 
probably not as big of a deal, right? Because they can get more sleep. But now if you say, okay, class starts right away at eight, and then you have to leave the house, say, by seven, oh man, if you don't go to bed until really late, you're already sleep deprived, mm -hmm. right? So even though your, your chronotype or everything is kind of pushing you to stay up later, the fact is you have to get up and be somewhere at a specific time in the morning. So if you do that, you're actually getting less sleep. Mm -hmm. So I don't have a good answer other than I think you have to try to find some sort of happy medium and I would look to see how many hours in bed they're actually getting and if that's become short probably trying to push them to go to bed earlier is going to be a good thing I can't say I have I don't we don't have kids so I'm sure everyone will write in and go but you don't have kids and you're not making them go to bed early and you have no idea how hard it is and that's all true um, <laughs> <laughs> well how in this how important is it for them to go to bed at the same time every night versus just getting enough yeah. time. Because I mean, kids yeah. have parties to go to, they act totally different on the weekends than they do during the weekdays when there's school. Yeah, there's some data that said catch up sleep on the weekend was beneficial. Then some other data said no, because that means you're really sleep deprived and so you shouldn't be in that state to begin with. So That's a little bit- subjects. Yeah, yeah. So I, I guess my bias is get as much sleep as you can. And if they don't sleep much during the week, I would, again, my bias was let them sleep in on the weekend to try to get some sleep. Downside then you come Sunday night, well, they don't want to go to bed until even later than before, right? So you're kind of perpetuating the cycle a little bit. Um, we do know that sleep times are relatively plastic, right? So like what you guys are talking about, if you get in the routine all the time of going to bed and getting up at the same time, your sleep schedule, your cycle, your circadian rhythms will kind of mold around that. Uh, the downside obviously with kids is that they don't have anything. The ones I've seen and myself when I was at that age, I would go to bed anytime between nine and three in the morning, <laughs> right? So I had far from any regularity to that so i i don't have very good answers i'm open to any other ideas well, it's interesting watching roland's kids um kind of going to their 20s since we we got married and you know watching them through all their teens his daughter is 22 right now she's soon gonna be 23 and she lives with us and she goes through these like days of sleep deprivation and then she'll binge sleep like she'll actually yeah. say I'm home for three days. I don't have any work. All I'm going to do is sleep. And she just goes in her room and she does not even come out to eat. And she just sleeps. Huh. And so she just catches up on it. She waits for the crash and then catches up and then goes again, waits for the crash and catches up. Now, for, for me... For those of you listening, I do not recommend this because <laughs> she also gets sick more often than mm -hmm. we do. Oh, yeah. Goes to roughly the same things and her and it lasts longer. Yep. So sure. we know we know that it's not great for her, but this is what she figured out. And I guess as she gets older, she'll, you know, figure her own rhythm. I've seen some of the kids I work with when the college year starts, when semester starts, they start going to bed earlier because otherwise they're completely incapable at seven in the morning or eight for classes. So they kind of self-adjust. She's already seen some of that. She told me the other day that I asked her because she has a she goes out dancing regularly on Wednesday night, and I'm. She hasn't in the last couple of weeks, and I asked her, and she said, oh, well, it's just, you know, it's fun to go out dancing, but it's not so much fun that I want to be miserable 
the next day because we don't get home till three in the morning and you know I'm, I want to have a life during the day as well so they, they save it for special occasions and they do some dancing that's um, earlier and uh, closer to home yeah other days yeah I think it's also practical what you value and what you can get done I, mean, I remember doing my postgraduate stuff when I went to college the first time and Man, the first quarter there, I, the earliest I went to bed was 2.33 in the morning. And part of that was uh, my first class was until 9. And it was also resident assistant. So I'd routinely work on weekends and I'd have to stay up till 3 in the morning. And I realized that no one's around between like 10 p.m. and 3 in the morning. So I'd have five hours where I could study and actually get stuff done. But then when I was in grad school there, I moved off campus, wasn't resident assistant anymore. And I had to get up early in the morning to be in the lab. I actually shifted my schedule where, I mean, my roommate and I would be in bed by like 9.30, <laughs> you know, because we realized, oh, I feel better. I can get more stuff done. And I had to get up and be somewhere super early in the morning too. So, yeah, we adjust. We have a couple of listeners questions yeah. as we kind of land this. So for dessert, Rebecca is asking whether this um, kind of phenomenon that we see with adolescents staying up and kids wanting to stay up is something that's just caused by modern culture and lights and stimulation, or is it something that is kind of even in tribal or hunter-gatherer societies, something that's observed? Have you seen anything about that? My feeling is it's probably both. I haven't, I haven't seen anything from hunter-gatherer society on adolescence, to be honest. Uh, that would be interesting to see what exists with that. Um, in adults, there's some arguments from hunter-gatherer societies that some people <clears throat> will have different sort of shifts, right? So if you think about in the past, it probably was good to have someone who stayed up a little bit later, you know, in case anything would happen, and then would sleep later, and other people that would go to bed earlier. So having people on different schedules kind of made a little bit of sense. I don't really know how exactly that would apply to adolescents, to be honest. I haven't seen anything on that which would be very interesting, right? Because you would assume that that would remove a lot of the other stimulus and lights and, well, cell phones, hopefully. I don't know. It depends on what culture, I guess, you're looking at. Mm. Um, so probably both. I, I just, at least from what I've seen, it appears to be getting worse as we have more lights, more things to distract us, more things to put blue light, like right in front of our face at night. It's definitely not helping anything especially in a population that already is kind of shifted more towards later to begin with mm -hmm. i don't know if you have any thoughts jody can you hear my my wheels turning in my head oh. yeah. um i i think i mean i i've heard i we heard a podcast about you know the wolf and the you know the different yeah, types chronotypes. yes of of sleepers like there's some people that wake up really early there's some people that can go out all night and party and they sleep during the day um so my feeling or my feeling in a practical sense is number one get more sleep number two um the daylight thing is very very necessary too because like going the first uh big bullet for me was getting more sleep. The second one, which is also mentioned in the Mr. Mole book, is going for a walk during the day and getting that, getting all of that sorted in your eyeballs. Well, I didn't know I was doing that 
you know, specifically, but being able to be outside, being able to get different stimulation, being able to see far in the distance instead of right up close to your face. I mean, all of these are issues that we're dealing with having lights flashing right in front of our face, not being able to see far distances. So all of those things, the um, going to bed earlier and um, getting a walk early in the morning or before noon have helped me tremendously. Like, I mean, if you if you did a snapshot of when we first got married to now, I am a, I'm a, of course you're a different person, but significantly different person as far as mood, as far as my ability to handle stress, um, being fragile or not fragile. A lot of that had to do with making changes in those two specific things. So I had, I can't remember where we were, but at some fitness conference or whatever, somebody said, Jody, you're looking good. What have you been doing? I said, uh, I go to bed earlier and I go for a walk every day. <laughs> you know, I'm like, oh, well, I guess it's working. So yay for me. <laughs> no, one wants, no one wants to hear that plan. No, right. Exactly. <laughs> you biohacker, you. Yes. Total biohacking secret. That's so the right. last question we have is from Benta, who has a couple of grandkids, and she's asking uh, if you have any tips on getting a toddler in the mood for sleep. Yeah, the younger the kid is, the more parents have control over them, right? So in essence, the parent <laughs> is, well, it's the way it works, right? Oh, that wasn't the really young kid, They can't really even move, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you get to be teenagers like oh geez um so i think it's even the clients i've had they're like oh my kid won't sleep at night i can't figure out what's going on and you talk to them and you're like they i don't think they forget but it's easy to have different light cues that they don't think about right so some kids aren't <clears throat> outside much during the day or if they are they're completely covered and never see the sun at all not that you want to set your kid out on the sidewalk and sunburn them or anything bad to happen to them, but they go like the other extreme. And then even during the night when the kid gets up, they go into their room. The room is pretty well lit at that point. And unfortunately, then you're kind of exacerbating the wrong circadian rhythm. So I tell them like the more you can control it, if they, you know, if they wake up, have a little uh, light that's kind of an amber or orange color that doesn't have nearly the amount of blue light. You can still see, but you're trying to limit amount of light cues that you have. So otherwise, you end up with kind of a self-perpetuating cycle. You know, the kid wakes up, you, know, you turn on all the lights. Well, they can't really go back to sleep because they just got blasted with a bunch of blue light and they don't sleep well the next night and you do the same thing again. Mm. Um, so I usually find that like light cues are probably one of the bigger ones. And then usually most people are pretty good about having a routine and things of that nature. Um, but I find that people tend to just kind of forget about the importance of light, both during the day and especially at night. I wonder if they make Mr. Mole glasses that are really small. Like I know. Yeah, That's what we need to well. figure out. Yeah. yeah. That would be so cool, like the whole family in blue blocking glasses at night. I got to figure out a prize for the first picture I get of somebody who has yeah. a whole family in blue blocker glasses. <laughs> okay. yeah. Well, it's on. It's on now. The challenge <laughs> on. We're going to hashtag it Mr. Mole. Mr. Mole glasses challenge. There you go. That's yeah. good. <laughs> I had one thing to add. If you, if 
mm-hmm. anybody wants it. Okay. Um, I was a teacher. My first gig was as a teacher. So one thing in addition to what you're saying is, you know, set the expectation. And for myself and my inner child, the way I ex- set the expectation of going to bed is I have a hot drink at night. So uh, like, yeah, ritual, a ritual of now it's bedtime and this is okay. Now I'm, you know, I'm sitting in the dark or darker part of the room. I'm sipping on something. We're doing something relaxing, which as silly as it sounds, I slurp my drink because I think about breathing more when I slurp it. <laughs> <laughs> as ridiculous as that is. That's, um, what, that it, that's what it is. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, no, but I mean, setting the expectation is for me, um, a really good thing. And I think for kids, it's more fun if you set some sort of expectation mm-hmm. and bring something special to it. So. And you can put your little blue light glasses on. You can read Mr. Mole to them. <gasps> that would be <laughs> What a great bedtime ritual. So I, because it's so, I'm always thinking about play and I use a lot of play when I work with little kids. Yes. And mm-hmm. so for me doing rituals too, like a teddy bear or yeah. Let's put Teddy to sleep first and we do the Teddy ritual for the little guy and then we put him yeah. to bed and we turn off his light and we keep him there. We explain that in the morning we'll take him for a walk so he can get his blue light. It's so important to set the rituals for the, the toy or whatever the kid likes to play with. I don't know if you can put Legos to bed, probably. And then <laughs> um, roll over on him. No. And then, <laughs> and then, you know, blue blocking glasses, reading Mr. Mole. And I'm I'm sure that it'll be wonderful. And with, you know, white noise or other machines that make yeah. beautiful sounds. It's just all about setting the atmosphere because I can't imagine that if both parents are on a device and maybe a brother or sister is on a device and there's bright light and Formula One's going on, that that the Wii One is gonna be able to go to bed. Yeah. And we forget also that, you know, via the motor mirror neuron response, right? Kids learn by copying their parents. Like, and you guys know from doing movement work, how often I've seen uh, two parents come in with a kid and the kid walks more like one of the parents or the other. And they're like, I can't figure out why he's doing this weird movement pattern. I'm like, because you move like that, but I never taught him that. No, indirectly you did, right? Because that's how kids learn, right? So setting that from both an example standpoint and that this is an expectation in addition to you know they're going to learn and want to copy what their parents are doing too yeah. what, well, a, what yeah. an excellent way to end huh? yeah we do think you guys we're, we're so behind this book we think you're really on to oh something. thank you we have as evidence we have a reader of our own book that how old is she Zara is now, I think, 11. She was nine when she started yeah, reading so the book. Yeah, so she got our book when she came to a book signing with her parents. Oh. Her parents are constantly sending us messages saying, We're, our daughter is now subjecting us to the farmer's market because she <laughs> nice. a chapter on the <laughs> We all have to go to bed early now because we have a chapter on sleep. Yep. Uh, you know, like, you know, her father says, I was told that I need a stand-up desk today because we have, <laughs> have a chapter on that. Can you please stop writing these chapters? And so <laughs> she's from night as well. So, you know, That's awesome. yeah. And she has a little, she has a daughter, uh, a smaller sister, sister. So I can, and she reads to her. So I can imagine. Oh, very cute. Yeah. So I think we're going to have to figure out a way to get, they just moved to Luxembourg. Luxembourg. So it's probably not yet available in the Luxembourgian store, but we will uh, have <laughs> to figure out how to get them a book. So, uh, so Zara can read to her little sister. Mm-hmm. 
Can oh, you guys cool. share where people can get the book? Yes. Um, go to mrmolebook.com. And I would recommend going there tomorrow because I need to make sure that the button works that you <laughs> push to actually pu purchase the book. If you go there today, well, you will just find a this is not live. description. So we will, okay. we will delay this just enough to okay. give you the chance to make that button work. Awesome. Then go to mrmolebook.com. Right now before they run out. <laughs> right excellent and we're going to have this in the show notes together with a couple of um pictures from the book so you guys can get excited to meet the many incarnations of mr mole yes now that you've met the original incarnation <laughs> yeah he has friends coming too yes. in the future i heard about my favorite animal coming on but we're not going to let it the the cat out of the bag it's not a cat it's is not it a cat. Oh. it's not a cat so we're going to invite you for expression. that one yeah i would love to hear That's the next just one. expression doggone it <laughs> it's no. not a dog no. it's my favorite animal oh. yeah hmm. just for me not the platypus is it for me it's not the platypus <laughs> it's not that's roland's favorite animal yeah we're done monkeying around Oh, <laughs> good one. But it's also not a monkey, I'm thinking. It's not, because it's my favorite animal. Mm. Thank, you, thank guys you guys for joining us today. It's amazing. Yeah, thank you for having us. We're really yeah. loving the book, and we can't wait to uh, spread the word of Mr. Mole and stealthily get parents to sleep more through teaching their children all about Mr. Mole's adventures. Yes. Thank you yeah, so thank much, you so much for having us on. Thank you. Thanks. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. <laughs> if you like today's show and want more episodes like it, you can help us by rating and reviewing the show wherever you subscribe. That means iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, Podbean, or in the podcast app on your phone. Do you know somebody who can benefit from today's episode? Share it right now from the show notes, which you can always find at meetmovelive52.com slash notes. And that funk that's playing behind me is called Proto-Funk by Kevin McLeod. Thanks, and talk to you soon.